Welcome to the long call. My name is Tyler Redman, here with my two brilliant co-hosts, Sierra Pate and Henry Gamber. Today we're going to be talking about what we all just experienced this previous Tuesday night. Um, It was election night. Uh, We had a lot of ups, many downs. Uh, Some might even say we're still in a down uh, because we still, as of today, do not know who our next president of the United States will be. Uh, so first, we're going to go ahead and go through a timeline, and then uh, my co-host and I will kind of discuss what's going on. Um, so we're just going to go ahead and start when I believe the first results kind of dropped. So at 5 p.m., and we're getting all of our results from NPR and the Associate Press. So the first polls of the election closed in Kentucky and Indiana, according to the New York Times, at 510 if we continue, 605 results from Florida are now being reported with 6% in. Trump led Biden by 57 to 42. Around 614, 43% of the votes co- counted. Biden leads Trump by 4% in Florida. Florida, we knew, was going to be a very uh, competitive state, and it really showed that way all throughout the night. At 6.18 p.m., Kentucky was called for Trump by NPR. Well, Vermont had been called for Biden. No surprises there. With 66% of the vote, the vote counted, rather, uh, in Florida at 633, Biden's lead had shrunk to 1%. Um, Biden had 50, uh, while Trump had 49 at that time. At 639, Virginia had been called for Biden. By 657 p.m., South Carolina had been called for Trump. At 703 p.m., we had our next dump of states. Oklahoma, Mississippi, Alabama, and Tennessee had all been called for Trump, adding 33 electoral votes for Trump. Illinois, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Maryland, Delaware, and New Jersey were all called for Biden. At 714, we had an update from Ohio. With 43% of the votes counted, Biden led Trump 56 to 42. At 734 p.m., Arkansas had been called for Trump bringing the electoral count to 61 compared to Biden's 85. At 7.39 p.m., we had a very big update from Kentucky where the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell retained his seat in the Senate, uh, defeating challenger Amy McGrath. That was one of the very important competitive senator states out there, Um, but it was not a huge surprise for anyone that Mitch McConnell was able to keep his foot there. At 8.03 p.m., North and South Dakota, Wyoming, Nebraska's three congressional districts and two at-large votes and Louisiana had been called for Trump, bringing Trump's electoral total to 94. New York and New Mexico had been called for Biden, bringing his electoral lead to 119, according to NPR. By 8.28 p.m., Biden held a small lead in Texas. Kansas, North Carolina, and Ohio. By 839, Colorado and D.C. had been called for Biden, adding an additional 12 votes. 845, Trump had taken over Biden in Texas, Kansas, and Ohio. By 902 p.m., Kansas had been called for Trump, adding six electoral votes. By 934, Missouri had been called for Trump, bringing his total count to 108. At 9.58 p.m., New Hampshire had been called for Biden. 
At 10.03 p.m., with no surprise, the West Coast came in, and all California, Washington, and Oregon went to Biden. By 11.45, we finally had results from Florida. Trump won, uh, according to the Associate Press, with an addition of 29 electoral votes. Trump then stood at 174, compared to Biden's 223. After a long night at 12.25 in the morning, Trump was called uh, for victory in Texas, adding an additional 38 electoral votes. That brought the standing to 212 for Trump and 223 for Biden. As we continued throughout the day, uh, I believe most states that had votes remaining um, said that results would not be known until later today, hopefully. Um, Earlier today at 2 p.m., Biden was called for Wisconsin, giving him 248 votes. Roughly around five in Michigan, it was also called for Biden. We still do not know the results of Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Georgia, Alaska, Arizona. So I now bring it to my co-host, guys. Uh, That was kind of a long timeline, but how are we feeling? Um, I think it's very interesting to watch as all these states come in, but also seeing all the states that aren't coming in and seeing how long it's taking for some of these states to kind of count the results. But I think it's also a good thing that they're taking a little bit longer and making sure that all the votes are being counted and being accounted for so that everybody can feel as though their votes are actually worth something and they're not just voting for up in the air kind of things. Right. And I think one of the most important things to remember is the election is not over, even though the president has claimed victory. Uh, We are still waiting on a lot of mail-in ballots, which have been projected to be majority Democrat. Uh, We still don't know who will be the winner, and a lot of the states mentioned, uh, including big states like Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. Uh, Right now, it is still anyone's game, and we are waiting to find out the results from those. I would just like to add, I mean, if we look at the 2000 election and we look at Florida, Florida, I believe, you know, they had situations going on all the way into December because of legal disputes and and those votes being counted. So to see Florida actually finally being called and then saying, hey, we got enough of our votes, including the mail-in ballots, to be able to say, I mean, that's inspiring to see. I know a lot of these other states uh, possibly had maybe more mail-in ballots, but to see Florida get it together um, in such a decisive election, um, you got to give props to Florida and what they're doing down there. Um, Obviously, they're not punching in ballots anymore, that's for sure. It's very interesting to see with like a lot of these, especially like um, with the Republican called states. Um, if you look at the like closer into these states and you see the different counties and you look at like the larger cities, the counties of the larger cities, those end up being like Democrat majority popular voted counties rather than like the rest of the state being of like um, red when those smaller like when the bigger cities end up being blue it's very interesting to see that and to look at like all the different states and how the different areas kind of voted right and I think that's something that the parties are going to have to come to terms with if they want to continue being competitive in uh, the opposite states so um, we're seeing a big rural urban divide 
and I think that the Democrats and the Republicans will need to learn how to appeal to those um, other types of voters if they want to continue being competitive in a lot of these partisan states. I agree, especially when it comes to president. But if we're looking at the way this election is going, we're actually seeing some interesting turnarounds for Republicans when it comes to the House. Um, It looks like here in Florida, there's actually um, a woman, a Republican running on the ticket that has actually uh, beaten the incumbent Democrat, who I believe was in Obama's White House uh, at the time. And she's one of those incumbents that, you know, once you've done your job, you've worked and the executive branch, you're set for life. And yet it looks like she has lost her election. Um, We're also seeing uh, kind of a gain for Republicans in the House, which I think was very unexpected. Uh, Nancy Pelosi was really expecting to kind of broaden her majority there. And it looks like Republicans may gain somewhere between five and 10 seats. Uh, So that's going to really make that majority that Nancy's going to have very small. So what does that kind of mean where we're going to go in two years when the House has that election again? Um, I think it's, we all know that the midterm elections tend to be very bad for the incumbent president. So if it ends up that Biden wins uh, the presidential election, it's likely to be a much better midterm for uh, Republicans than, say, 2018 was. Uh, If Trump uh, maintains the presidency, then it's likely the Democrats will do everything they can to expand their majority and to uh, make gains in the Senate. It is definitely a rough time to be a Democrat right now with the current state of the Senate and the House. It's definitely not what pollsters projected or what Democrats were hoping for. Henry, you mentioned the Senate. Let's go ahead and jump into the Senate. Uh, What are we kind of seeing there so far? We're seeing a lot of the Senate seats that were supposed to be competitive, like Iowa, like Georgia, like North Carolina, where uh, the Republicans are still eking out victories, even in North Carolina. It's still too close to call. Uh, But in Iowa, uh, it's looking like the Republican incumbent will win. In Montana, there's a lot of hope for Steve Bullock, uh, but he is looking like he's not going to win. Um, It is just not a great night for Senate Democrats. Uh, It's looking like a lot of the hopeful seats to gain uh, were not being gained. It looks like so far they have gained about two seats, uh, but they will need more seats in order to get that crucial 50 plus the vice presidential spot in order to pass legislation. It's looking like there's a good chance Republicans will keep their Senate majority. Um, I was just going to say that it does seem like it, the Republicans all, will maintain that seat. And with the midterms, like Henry mentioned before, if whoever ends up in the ha- in the president's spot, whether it, Trump remains or Biden comes in, that will be the opposite will be for the Senate. Is They're going to try to fight for that other house so they can have kind of more of that like balancing point between the president's and the Senate. Let's go ahead and talk about North Carolina a little bit. Even though it is a very close race and um, it does look like Tillis is going to remain, Cal Cunningham raised $46 million compared to Tillis's 21. Money was just pouring into this election. Uh, And this isn't something that we're seeing in just North Carolina. We're seeing this in several states. How do we think money really played a part 
in this election cycle? And do you think there's going to be any cases where money's still going to be playing a part in any election that might, say, uh, be going on uh, into a runoff? I know one of Georgia's seats, uh, it looks like we are going to see that runoff there. And hopefully uh, we'll know on the other if that'll be a runoff in January as well. Do you have any uh, intel on what that's really going to be looking like for us? Um, I... I think that money definitely always plays a very big part in politics, especially as like, though there are like the different like regulations and laws that keep people from getting a certain amount. It still like seems like that money plays one of the biggest roles within like politics and elections so that people are able to travel to different areas and like be more well known by different people and allow people to see them a little bit more through ad campaigns, different things like that. So I think money does play a huge role. And with this, I think money will continue to play a huge role as it becomes more of a thing that people think is the most important thing is money and things like that. And I think we definitely saw the Democrats had an amazing year for fundraising and it didn't necessarily turn out to uh, win them all of those swing Senate districts, unfortunately. Like with Cal Cunningham, it's looking like he may not win even after the votes are counted, despite the uh, massive fundraising efforts. Amy McGrath uh, ran an amazing fundraising campaign and reaped in millions, however, still lost by a huge margin. It's looking like despite uh, how much money you raise, even in Kentucky, you're probably not going to win a statewide race. It's just too partisan. Uh, and similar thing in Kansas, Barbara Bollier uh, ran an amazing fundraising campaign and still didn't make it, uh, it as close of an election as might have been hoped for by the Democrats. Now, Henry, you mentioned a brilliant point there um, about Barbara Bollier. Uh, we're all here in Kansas City. So we've kind of had a, kind of an insider look at Boulier. And I've heard from both Republicans and Democrats uh, really this huge liking for her. She was a very friendly candidate that isn't something you feel like you see, uh, at least in modern day politics. I have to be honest with you. They're not all super nice and appealing and wanting to speak with just anyone. And she was that candidate. So seeing how it looks like she's not going to, it, it doesn't even look close, really. Um, that was actually a shock to me because I really thought somehow Kansas Democrats have finally found kind of their senator again. And Kansas was maybe going to kind of turn into one of those swing states where we do have this large Republican base, but we have enough Democrats that they're also getting some voice. Um, so, again, that's a brilliant point to mention. Right. I think that points to uh, the strength of partisanship right now, uh, even in Missouri and our statewide races and our local races. Candidate Rick Rober for the Missouri State House had allegations of abuse from his family members and still managed to eke out a win over Democratic challenger. Uh, it's, it's looking like partisanship is just extremely strong. We saw this beginning in Alabama with Doug Jones and Roy Moore, uh, but it looks like partisanship is just getting stronger. 
Well, partisanship is also, it works all the way up to the presidency because of all the allegations that have been put in place against President Trump and even Biden, all these allegations that are put in place for either one of them. And there's still the partisanship of people voting for a certain party because of the policies or just not in general liking the other candidate that's in place. So it's, I think at this point it's, oh, I'm a Democrat, so I'm gonna vote Democrat. Oh, I'm a Republican and I've always been a Republican. It runs in my family to be a Republican, so I'm gonna vote that way, whether there's these allegations or not. So just a kind of a follow-up question. We're saying it's partisanship. How much of it is actual partisanship and how much of it is just that incumbency rate where I believe it's 90% of all incumbents do tend to win re-election? Um, there's kind of this age-old saying of, I hate my Congress, but I love my congressmen. And that's something that you kind of see all over the place. So is it really partisanship that we're seeing increasing or is it just uh, – that incumbency rate just kind of sticking it in and saying, hey, this isn't 2018. We're going to kind of stay in our place and stay in our lane. I think the incumbency is still a factor. Uh, there are some uh, estimations like from 538 where incumbency bonus uh, used to be close to around 8%, but now could be down to around 3%, uh, seeming like it is still a bonus and likely in these close races is a boon to the incumbent. Uh, but it's likely not as strong as it used to be. Yes, I can see it being a bit of the incumbency. Um, but I still think it's more of like being partisan to a certain party and having that like idea that your party is better um, and not wanting to defer from it to a different party, not wanting to even think outside of the box and understand where the other party may be coming from. All right. Well, we're almost out of time, I believe, for today. But before we go, let's go ahead and dig into Georgia. What are we seeing in Georgia? I'll go ahead and start off with the obvious. They got to fix those pipes in Georgia, man. They got to fix those pipes. Uh, So for those of you listening that don't know, Georgia had in Fulton County, which I believe is around the main Atlanta area where we're seeing a lot of those mail-in ballots, There was a pipe that burst, and so they had to stop counting for, it was a couple hours. So we we, got to fix those pipes in Georgia. That's that's my first statement. Uh, What else do we know about Georgia, you two? Uh, Well, to win in Georgia, you need 50% of the vote at least. And we know for sure in the uh, jungle race that is Raphael Warnock and Kelly Loeffler's race, Uh, we know that it's pretty much almost assuredly going to be a runoff election. Uh, What we don't know yet is if uh, the David Perdue-John Ossoff race, uh, if David Perdue is going to hit that 50% threshold. So we do not know if that's going to be a runoff. So who knows? We may see a a special two-Senate seat runoff, which would be very interesting. And uh, it's likely that would make January a little bit more spicy. What do you think, Tyler? Oh, I think the spiciness scale in Georgia is off the charts. Now, I do think um, in the uh, Senate seat with, oh, I forgot his name, and so I'm glad I'm not a professional mediaite. Um, who, who is he? Uh, the one that isn't going to go to a runoff. Uh, David Perdue. He's a 
Yeah, Purdue. That's his name. Wow, I really blanked. Um, I do think Purdue is going to keep his seat. I don't think that we're going to see a runoff there. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we're going to see billions of dollars poured into Georgia over control of the Senate. I don't see that happening, though. Um, What's interesting, though, is that we have these two Senate races in Georgia, and that is because we have a longtime Congress or senator, uh, rather, retiring. And so one of these seats is going to be up for re-election again in the next election cycle. So, you know, where Georgia is now might not be where they're at in two years. And so that's something to keep in mind as well. Uh, but that's that's my take on Georgia. Uh, you take it away, Sierra. What do you think about Georgia? Um, I actually don't know much about Georgia. I think Georgia, from what you guys have discussed, has seemed like there's going to be um, with the retirement of a Senate seat in just a couple of years, that it's going to be even more competitive once that reelection comes around or once that election comes around where there's, um, more people trying to get their way into the Senate seat. All right. Well, this has been another episode of the long haul, ladies and gentlemen, it is Wednesday, November 4th, and we still don't know who our next president will be, but we do know that it's a long call and it just keeps on going. I hope you all have a fantastic morning, night, evening, afternoon, and no matter where you're at, keep on smiling. Have a good one. Bye-bye.